welcome to creating wealth through passive apartment investing podcast in this show we will discuss about best and worst experiences about passive and active apartment investing and i am your host ramakrishna let's begin the show today's our guest is charles chiman from three works management llc welcome charles rama thank you so much for having me back it's a pleasure to be here Yeah, welcome back, Charles. So you came uh, here earlier, like in episode eight, and you shared your underwriting guidelines experiences. And thank you. You're welcome. Yeah, a little bit about Charles. Charles currently serves as senior acquisition manager and asset manager for Three Works Management LLC, in which he actively works to locate high-performing multifamily real estate deals throughout the Southeast region of the United States. He is responsible for performing all of the company's initial underwriting and analysis of these deals, which ultimately determines whether or not the deal will be a good fit for the company. He has 14 years of prior experience working for a commercial real estate investor in. and why see that charles would you like to add anything else no i think that's a good summary and a good starting point for us to jump into cool and let's get into your recent acquisition 48 units in south carolina during covid period so would you share more about this property location sub markets fundamentals yes absolutely i'm sorry rami you see this was for the 48 unit that we closed in september correct yes yes absolutely so it's a 48 unit multifamily property in Sumter South Carolina which is about an hour outside of Columbia it's a tertiary market and admittedly one that i wasn't familiar with until we actually had it at the deal presented to us what happened is in january 2020 my partner and myself were having lunch with the real estate broker and he asked us if we had any interest in Sumter and my initial response jokingly is where is Sumter <laughs> so for me i live in Charlotte currently so it's about an hour and a half you know 2 hours from now and when i first saw the deal the numbers checked out so i said okay you know from a financial standpoint it looks good but then the next thing is checking the area out because we want to make sure we're, we're buying property in an area that has you know good fundamentals to it so you know we did some online research but it wasn't really until we drove the the property in the area that we felt good about it and as we were making the drive from Charlotte south to Sumter we had a lot of back roads and very little cell phone service and minimal activity so initially we were a little concerned that it was going to be in the middle of nowhere <laughs> but Then as we start getting into Sumter, about 10 minutes away from the property, it starts opening up and you see a nice bustling little city, which is very encouraging. And it just so happens that the property is probably located in the best or one of the better sections of the the city. So, it's got a lot of positive things going for it. There was a brand new development that just opened up the year before, not terribly far from there. There was a lot of major retailers and restaurant chains nearby. So, overall we became much more confident in it and and being local to it and being able to drive it gave us a big advantage because we were able to to really feel confident and then put a a strong offer in that got us the deal. Cool. And what kind of underwriting guidelines you followed for this particular deal? So, this one here uh started out differently than it ended. So, initially when we first looked at it in January 2020, the property is 48 units. It had 12 vacant units, so that's a 25% physical vacancy rate, which is very high. So, the initial plan was that we were going to go in there, acquire the property with bridge financing, and then get the the property stabilized and subsequently push rents. So, lo and behold, some of you may have heard of the global pandemic. Well, that happened and that's that started in March of 2020. 
So our plan to acquire it with bridge financing didn't quite work out the way we expected. For anybody that was doing deals in the market at that time, you're probably aware that bridge financing more or less came to a halt. And to a large extent, Fannie Mae and Freddie Mac were really the, the predominant loans that were still funding at that particular time. So this property wasn't going to qualify for a Fannie or Freddie loan because it wasn't stabilized. So what happened is around mid-March, our mortgage broker called me up and he said, hey, Charles, unfortunately, we have some bad news. The, the bridge lender is not going to process your application and it has nothing to do with us or, or, or the property or the application, but they were temporarily suspending all lending on their bridge program because they didn't know what was going to happen with the overall market. So then I went back to my partners. We had a conversation and said, okay, well, what do we want to do? We were still within our due diligence period. So do we like the deal enough that we want to see if we can work something out with the seller or do we want to just terminate the contract and get our EMD money back? So after thinking about it, we determined that we still like the deal and we wanted to be able to have the chance to acquire it. So we worked an arrangement out with the seller. And for most deals that were closing at that point, there were two things that were happening. Either one, there was some type of significant adjustment in price or two, they were extending the due diligence period because there was so much uncertainty in the overall market that nobody knew exactly what was going to happen. So we chose option two and we worked out an agreement with the seller to extend the due diligence period by 60 days. And with that, it would also extend our money not going hard. So that way we, we would see what the market would do and if it rebounded and if we'd have the chance to be able to close the property or bridge financing. So during those 60 days, something really interesting happened that we didn't expect. So there were two major value adds on this deal. One was filling the units and getting them stabilized. And two was pushing rents organically because they were so far below what similar units in the area were renting for. So the first value add actually got taken care of for us. Ironically, during the pandemic, the seller stabilized the property, which was very unexpected because it wasn't that way before the pandemic. <laughs> so lo and behold, by the end of that extra 60 day due diligence period, the property was able to qualify for agency debt. So now we no longer needed to depend on the bridge market. We were able to go out and get a Fannie or a Freddie loan. In this case, we used Fannie and we wound up getting it funded and we ultimately wound up closing in, in September. So I joke around and say, you know, it's probably the longest closing in history for a 48 unit deal. It took us seven and a half months, but we got to the finish line. <laughs> Yes. And a good thing is like it's stabilized right before closing itself. Yes. So that was great because it, it was great for two reasons. One, they already implemented our first value add for us. So they gave us a head start. And two, them doing that allowed us to qualify for agency debt, which gave us more favorable lending terms. And it also gave us the ability to close the deal with certainty, being that we could use agency debt. Yep. So that was a great benefit that we had going in. Cool. And what kind of business plan you're planning to implement on this deal? I already started implementing. So on this one here, our, our plan is really a management and operational play. It wasn't the physical value in. And while we do look at things that have physical value ads, I always say I would take something that's an operational value in 100% of the time and twice on Sunday. The thing is that they're fairly simple to execute if you know how to run one of these properties. Now, if you're just starting out and you don't know how to do that and you don't have a competent management professional that you trust, then that may not be the play for you. But for me, I happen to enjoy that strategy. And what we realized here is from doing our homework is that rents at this property were between 575 and 650. The property has all two bedroom, one bed bathroom units. And what we realized from driving around, checking out comps, looking through the area, making phone calls, that the comps with similar units in the area were going between 750 and 850. So we felt very confident with that. And when I say comps, I don't mean something that's, you know, 20 years newer, something that was recently renovated. I mean, something that's similar vintage, similar size, similar layout, and you know similar finishes, the whole 
full kit and caboodle. And we realized, okay, rents here between 575 and 650. So we have the opportunity to go in there and increase rents organically. And that was our plan. So the seller was a local family and you know they, they've done fairly well for themselves in different things but real estate was not their primary business and because of that the property didn't get a lot of attention they had a property manager in the area that, that managed it for them but the property manager also managed three other properties the other three which were owned by that property management company so needless to say this property probably didn't get the attention that it needed and there were 27 month-to-month -month leases when we closed so out of 48 units 27 had month-to-month -month leases now some people can look at that as a bad thing because that's a lot of exposure and there's a lot of truth to that. But we looked at it as an opportunity because what it meant is that we had the opportunity to push rents that much faster. So our year one projection was 750 because even though our property manager said we could hit higher than that, I have to admit I was a bit skeptical. So we, we really budgeted getting rents up to 750. And I always like to figure things are going to take longer than you expect them to. So we, we actually budgeted hitting that in year two. So what happened is with those 27 month to month leases, our property manager's first objective was to get those tenants signed to new leases. And we told people that we weren't going to have anybody month to month. If you are going to be month to month, then there's going to be a significant premium. So that highly motivates people to sign new leases. So we, we got the new tenants on, uh, the existing tenants on new leases, and we automatically pushed all those rents between 75 and 100 bucks. So that way it gave us a nice bump. It left the occupancy at the property strong. And it also you know gave us the certainty so they don't just have month to month leases and higher rates. Then on units that are becoming vacant, you know, initially we tested the water uh, and our property manager wanted to try 800. I, I was a little daffled that that they would get it, but they did. And then they started leasing vacant units around 850 in November. And I said, oh, let's test the waters. You never know until you try. And I have to admit, I was pleasantly surprised that I was wrong because our property manager hit the numbers that she told me she could. And I, I didn't believe it. So seeing is believing. And I think they did a wonderful job with that because they were getting 850. And that's just on a standard turn. We're, we're slapping a coat of paint on, we're fixing what needs to be fixed, but we're not making any significant upgrades. Cool. Awesome. And that's a good start, actually. So is this a, a syndication deal or JV deal? This one's a syndication deal. So we had, uh, it was a smaller deal. The, the purchase price in this one was 2,475,000 and the equity raise was like 1,348,000. But generally most of our deals we syndicate. You know, I think we would be open to joint ventures down the line, but we just haven't had a good opportunity to present itself for that yet. So is it Finance 6B or Finance 6C? 506B is in boy. Okay. So what kind of returns you're offering to investors? So this one here, we did a 70-30 split and we wound up doing a 7% preferred return to the investors and we're projecting returns in between 16 and 18% down at annualized basis. Oh, awesome. And are you passing tax benefits to passive investors? Yes. Yeah, so we are doing a cost segregation study to accelerate the depreciation. So that's something we intend to have realized. Uh, we already have that in process and we should hopefully be able to give our investors that benefit sooner than later. Cool. So how long it took to raise capital during COVID? So the capital actually came easier than I thought. What happened is we had one group that funded the entire thing. So they, they basically just had different people write checks for it, but they came in and they, they funded the entire raise. So we got that pretty easily. It was actually the debt that was harder to get. I, I was kind of expecting it the other way around, especially in the middle of the pandemic, but the equity came pretty simple. It was the debt that we had to go and jump through hoops to really get. <laughs> Yep. So would you share any like challenging experiences during acquiring this property or up? 
Yes, absolutely. So in addition to the bridge lender backing out, so what happened is we actually submitted two separate loans. We submitted one with a lender for a Fannie Mae application, and that was in late May 2020. And we told them, listen, we have to close by the end of July. This is our timeline. So they gave us a term sheet. The term sheet was 75% loan to value. And they gave us, you know, all the other terms spelled out. So we said, okay, let's move forward. We gave them a deposit and went through the process. The appraisal came back. It was actually higher than any of us anticipated. Uh, as far as we knew, everything seemed to be going well. And then like mid-July, they tell us they're going to send the commitment, but it's only going to be for 65% loan to value. And we said, wait, 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 what happened here? We said, we were supposed to be at 75%. How do we go from 75 to 65? And, and more than that, how did this happen when you didn't tell us there was any problem? problem. You know, as far as we know, you told us everything was going well with the underwriting. You didn't have any red flags, anything that became an issue. So how did we drop 10% because obviously that's going to impact our returns now. So after reviewing it further, we determined that it wasn't going to put the returns where we wanted them. So what we decided to do was negotiate another extension with the seller, which they gave to us. And we submitted a different Fannie Mae loan application with a different lender. Now with this lender, it's a lender that my, one of my partners has a good relationship with and that he's done business with in the past. And we explained to them upfront what happened with the previous lender because we didn't want to waste our time or their time or the seller's time. So we said, you you know, here's what happened. You know, they did their third party reports. As far as we know, they didn't find anything that was detrimental, but then they came in with, you know, 10% less. And after speaking with the new lender, they, they felt confident that they could deliver on the on the higher proceeds. So we went forward and submitted an application with them. Uh, they moved everything as fast as they could. They had to do a new property condition assessment and environmental inspection report. They were able to use the appraisal. So at least that saved a little bit of time, but ultimately they had to uh, basically start from scratch. So we went through everything with them again, and then finally they approved it and and then we closed in late September. So that it took ultimately three different lenders to get that deal closed. <laughs> cool. Thanks for sharing that. And would you share any best experience on this deal? Yeah. So the best experience I think was just the, probably the learning experience we had, you know, you, sometimes you just have to keep going and things seem tough. We could have backed out of the deal in March after the bridge lender pulled the funding. We were still within our due diligence period. And there's nothing wrong with that, but by having the tenacity and the resolve to go through it, we were able to come out stronger on the other side with another deal on our track record and some good stories to, to learn and lessons learned from it. So overall, I think it was just really the experience. And for anybody listening out there, if you want to get deals done, sometimes they won't always come easily, you have to really have a lot of resolve and tenacity and just keep pushing forward. Cool. Yeah. And so what is your current forecast and share something you're excited about now, Charles? So something that, that I'm currently excited about is just a lot of opportunities in 2021. So we still have the uncertainty of the pandemic. And unfortunately, it doesn't seem that that'll be going away too soon. So what we have to do is adapt and make the best of that. And yeah, for me personally, we, we my company had set a goal to do three deals and 500 units in 2020. We definitely fell short on that. We did one deal and it was only 48 units. So needless to say, from a financial and deal perspective, we fell short. But what we were able to do is build a lot of relationships relationships that put us in a much better direction for 2021. And what I would tell anybody out there is, you know, I don't really think we're going to see a crash in the multifamily space. I do think that we will wind up seeing some type of reset in other real estate markets, but not necessarily multifamily because there's still a lot of money flowing into this space. So I would say build your team and be ready. There will be opportunities. Uh, some people are going to be looking for distressed properties. If you look in markets that were hit particularly hard by the pandemic, markets like Las Vegas, markets like Orlando, 
you'll probably see those markets start to rebound as as things open up and as property owners are no longer able to hold on to those properties. And you'll find select other distressed properties too throughout different markets in the country, but it's just keeping your, your eyes and ears open and making sure that you have the resources and the team available to move and move quickly once these de- deals become available. Awesome. So any one advice that impacted you, Charles? So the best advice I would say is educate yourself for anybody starting out, you know, read books, listen to podcasts like these and get as much information as you can. And then ultimately start taking action. So the, the biggest action piece you can do is building your network and you'll need different things if you want to be successful in this business. So there's four things I always tell anybody starting out if you want to be successful. One is you need to pick a target location. So don't try to look in too many different markets. And I say most of these things from my own personal experience, even though they are kind of cliche. You know, some people learn right away and other people are stubborn like me and they go out and they make mistakes. So what I would say is by trying to be in too many markets, you you wind up not really knowing any of them and not having deep enough connections to really get quality deals. So pick one or two markets that you focus on starting out and make that your go-to market. Number two is finding investors. So one of the mistakes that a lot of people make, and we made also, you spend too much time on finding the deal thinking the investors will come. And with a smaller property, like a single family home that you're wholesaling, that might be true. But with a deal this size, it's probably not going to (laughs) happen. So you want to be actively looking for deals and actively looking for investors on a regular basis. And instead of telling yourself that you're just starting out and you don't have a deal, what do I show investors? What you want to do is connect with somebody who's more experienced than you and find out what are they doing to attract investors and figure out how you could apply that to your own situation and then use that constructively. Then number three, I would say is finding a partner. And when I say a partner, I mean a partner to build your business with. So most syndication groups have more than one person involved. There are some that have one, but very few. Most have anywhere from two to four different partners. Because what happens is initially when you're starting out, you're not going to have a lot to do because you're still building momentum. But if you do a good job of building momentum, then you'll soon have more to do than you than you can handle. So what I recommend at a bare minimum is having two partners, you know, two people involved, one of which is working on the acquisition side, one of which is working on the investor relation and capital side. So you always want to have both sides moving forward. So that way, when one side's ready. So if the, if the guy on the acquisition side finds a deal, but then you have no money to fund it, then it didn't work. So you need both sides moving forward at all times. And then the last thing, and probably the single most important point that I would tell anybody to focus on if they're starting out and they want to move faster is to build good sponsor relationships. So a sponsor is somebody who signs on a loan for you. And they're also known as a key principal, a loan guarantor. But if you develop a good relationship with them, they can be a lot more than just somebody who signs on a loan for you. And what I would say, again, for everybody listening, do not do this without asking the sponsor that you're dealing with for their blessing first. If you do it without, you'll probably lose their trust. But if you're working with them and you have a good relationship with them, Ask them, you know, Mr. or Mrs. Sponsor, would you mind if I mention your name and say that I'm local boots on the ground for you in this market that I'm working with you? And that'll go a long way and move you a lot faster. You know, if you go to the broker and say, hey, Mr. Broker, my name is, you know, Charles Seaman. I'm starting out. I have no units. Or if you go, hey, Mr. Broker, my name is Charles. I'm working with Joe Smith, who has 2,500 units. Just put it in perspective and think which one's going to get you a more favorable reaction and a better deal. And the same thing on the investor side. So this business is all about track record. And the sooner that you can get somebody else's track record to attach to your own name, the better. And eventually, if you keep going and you make progress, you'll have your own track record where you won't need to do that. But it'll advance your business a lot faster earlier on if you do that. 
Yeah. Awesome. And thanks for sharing all the great things. Rama, thank you so much. How are you giving back to community, Charles? So there's a few ways that I do it. One is that I'm a member of my local Rotary Club. So that's a service-based organization. They have different activities that I participate in. Sometimes it's like two weeks ago, I think I, I think it was two weeks ago, we work with this organization called North Carolina Medicist, where basically what we do is we pack medications for people that can't afford them, and we make them so this organization is able to distribute them. We also do things like, like keep the community clean. So there's usually different Saturdays out of the quarter that we'll take to clean up different streets in the area and, and various other activities that we have with them. Then aside from that, another thing I, I've also been big on is just you know teaching people because I, I like doing that. It's something I enjoy. So each Saturday afternoon, I have a free underwriting session on Zoom and I open that up to anybody. So if anybody wants to learn how to underwrite a deal, they can come to that. And I'm always glad to give my time as well for somebody starting out and just in need of guidance because at one point I was there as well. And I think it's, it's good to have those resources available. Awesome. So how can listeners can connect with you? Sure. So I'll give you two ways. They can reach out by email, charles at the number three, O-A-K-S-M-G-M-T.com or text message 347-306-3278. And in particular, if anybody has interest in the underwriting session, just tell them that they heard me on your show and we can definitely get them signed up for that. Awesome. And thank you, Charles. And thanks for sharing and deep dive into a recent acquisition. I appreciate it. Rama, thank you so much. Appreciate being back on it. If you like the show, please subscribe, share, rate, and review. And if you want to connect with me, please send me a message, info at ushacapital.com. Thank you for listening. Creating Wealth Through Passive Apartment Investing Podcast. I hope you learned something from the show. See you in the next episode. Thank you. Any information provided from these shows are educational purpose only. As always, please consult with your own CPA, legal and financial advisor before investing.